Oh. So I was teaching something Anthony Edwards did that was very complex, very detailed footwork. And they said, hey, we just got this instinctively playing the game. You're telling me that everything Anthony Edwards possessed, you had? Like, you just got it this is playing I, basketball? This, that was just instincts in my day. Listen, you don't have, you never had what Anthony Edwards has. You don't have, nor have you ever had, what Kyrie has. Stop saying we just got this by playing basketball. No, you didn't. You are not as skilled as those guys. And especially, you're not as skilled as Kyrie. Yeah. So do you think it's possible that maybe there's some things that Kyrie has that you never got instinctively just by playing that maybe if you just did some effort, you might be able to get. But anyway, I like to call this uh, delusional confidence. Welcome back to Dream Loudly, an Impossible original show. We are your hosts, Michael Lancaster and Bryce Stanhope. And today we're going to be discussing the Kyrie Port, which uh, I think if you've been following us, you know of this, but we've never really talked on it in detail on this show. And so I think it's definitely past due. Um, So let me just go ahead and give some background of what the Kyrie report was. So what we did while, while Kyrie Irving was on the Brooklyn Nets, we did a 10 games, 10 game study of him. We basically took 10 games. We took every one of his possessions, which was 649 possessions. And we tracked every single skill technique that was used in those 10 games. And so we could really know what skills and techniques Kyrie was using. Amazingly, in a span of 10 games, he used 176 identifiable techniques, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Now, what you need to understand as we dive into this is that we've taken the time at I'm Possible to break down the game and really term up the game. And so we can take a set of footwork that a player does and we can know by name what it was by definition. And this has allowed us to break down the game really deeply. And so as we dive into these numbers, we'll try to do our best to clarify what these terms are. But what it's allowing us to do is look at a player like Kyrie, who is easily the most skilled player in basketball, or I should say debatably, but I think yeah. easily, and one of the most skilled basketball players ever, if not the most skilled basketball player ever. And we've been able to look at the skills that he used in those 10 games and also the skills that he didn't use in the span of 10 games. And it really gives us a nice baseline of what is most common for players of that skill level. Yeah. So as we look at the numbers, what numbers jumps out to you as the most relevant of all of them? I mean, I think we, we knew this one coming into it at least a little bit is like obviously dribble step and dribble step time. That one was going to be high. And you, you did a video in the past too, where even just talking about like dribble step timing accuracy, which... We've even gone over this in videos through social media and stuff is like, you know, obviously the window between what actually counts as a dribble step and what counts as what we would refer as a stutter dribble. Um, so there was some stuff that even before we got through these 10 games, um, I think we made like a, you know, make up a list of what we thought would be the most used skills with thought. And like, I would say we were pretty accurate for the most part, but there was a couple that I would say that we were pretty surprised that it was like, like, oh, I thought that number was going to be way higher. And some of it was due to what we see on social media. Like, I know we thought drags was going to be really high, but it's also because a drag has such a elite look to it that when he does a drag dribble and knocks down a shot, you're going to see that on social media every 
two seconds. So I think there was things on there that we had a really good idea of. And like I said, dribble step timing was going to be one of those, but then we broke it down even farther to just accuracy. And I think that's one of the coolest thing about this list is it allows us to dig even deeper into like not only the skills he's using, but like how accurate and how on time and how intentional everything really is. Yeah, it really, um, I think, cements in place that this is not just sporadic basketball. Yeah. So when we look at the dribble step numbers, in 10 games, he used 1,893 dribble steps, and he only performed 38 stutter dribbles. Yep. So now let me just go ahead and break down, because this is a 98% accuracy rate. So a dribble step means you're placing your dribble down right before, which would be the, the best pocket of time, right before your inside foot hits the floor. So the earliest time you would ever see a dribble step would be the second the inside foot becomes the lead foot, which I'll explain this. And then the latest a dribble step would be would be the second the foot hits the floor, which is basically a half a step. So it's all correlating the ball with the inside foot. Now, if you were flowing with the basketball, that means that you would take another step and then a half a step time before it would become a dribble step again. So hard to put into words in this way, but that means that a stutter dribble would be dribbling on the outside foot, a step and a half time, and a dribble step would be dribbling on the inside foot, which you only have a half step window of time in order to get it right. Yep. That's how a dribble step would be defined. If you're, if you're not understanding that, literally this week, the Kyrie port is going back over on my Instagram. So if you go to my Instagram, you can find, you can watch all of them in order. And actually at the time of this filming, um, the Kyrie port dribble step will be tonight. So, but that it really shows that his accuracy is able to hit that half step window time, 98% of all dribbles. And what's really amazing about that is some of those stutter dribbles were on purpose mm -hmm. on things that we would see. Like you mentioned a punch drag. Every time you do a punch track, that's technically a stutter dribble, but those are very intentional stutter dribbles. Yep. So my question would be, how often does Kyrie accidentally dribble off time? Yep. And that's the impressive part about that number is how many dribble steps he uses and how accurate he is with it. Yep. A lot of times when we train players, we realize, and this is why this is so, and so important, is we do stress dribble step timing a lot. And let's say this came back and we said, okay, Kyrie has a 70% dribble step accuracy rate. Then I might pull back and say, maybe I'm overstressing dribble steps with players. But the fact that he has a 98% accuracy rate means that I probably don't even stress it enough. Where if a player that skilled is that accurate with his dribble timing, then shouldn't we then explicitly teach players how to find it? Yeah. Isn't that what flow in basketball is all about? No, and... And I think that sometimes when I think people get the wrong idea of our training at times where they talk about like, you know, complicated, you know, doing too much, like doing so. We're like a lot of times like a, a specific skill like that is very detailed where a lot of people would look at it and be like, oh, that, that's complicated. But that's not what it is, though. Like you're looking at such a minute little skill. Like like I love asking players that all the time when they're new, like. Oh, can you, you know, run with a dribble? Can you walk with a dribble? Can you jog with a dribble? And most people are just going to say yes. But then when you actually look at how the pieces work, that's where they're getting exposed in games because the skills themselves, they don't actually have it. They can do a rough estimate of it. It's like somebody, like everybody can shoot a ball, but like how well do you shoot it? Same thing with like running with a ball. And that stuff Kobe Bryant used to talk about back in the day where like he specifically worked on sprinting end to end with the ball and working on pulling up. 
So inadvertently, he's working on maintaining dribble step timing for long periods of time. Um, and I think that's one of the things with, you know, there's a big difference between something being very detailed and complicating something. And I think that's where people get really mixed up on that, where it's just like, we're just trying to be detailed. We're trying to make sure we have those details. Yeah, detail does not mean complicated. Yeah. So we're literally talking about, and I'll use another term that we're going to get into, a player would take a dribble step, then they would take a motion step, which is the step in between the dribble, and then the next dribble, if they were just normally walking the ball up the floor, would be a dribble step. So it'd be dribble step, motion step, dribble step, motion step. That's just walking the ball up the floor. That's not complicated. It's just precise. Like that's as basic as it gets. Should be that a player should be able to walk the ball up the floor, dribbling in sync with the inside foot, and then taking a step in between. But sometimes we train players who literally, even at high levels, they can't maintain that timing. So as you were saying, it'd be like sitting a person in a corner three and then saying, I want you to consistently make eight out of 10. If they can consistently do that, that at least tells us something about their form. They know how to tap into it. They know how to get consistent with it. If they're sporadic, then we'd, be, we'd have to really look at the shot and see what's going on. But besides shooting and finishing, no one really has a way to do that with other skills in other parts of the game. This is a good example of that. Where if I'm going to train a player and I want you to do you know, four dribbles down the floor and then I look at your dribble step timing, if you're only getting two out of four, yeah. something's wrong with that dribble mm-hmm. step. Something's wrong with your flow. Your but if you're able to off. hit basically close to 100% of them, now we at least know you know how to flow with the basketball. Mm-hmm. So this stuff really does matter when, it's, when it comes to teaching players and also identifying weakness in them. The, the next one would be the motion step that is connected with the dribble step. So the motion step, like I said, is the step that happens in between dribbles. So if I take a dribble and then I take a step in between the next dribble, that would be a motion step. So obviously those go hand in hand. So it's not surprising that Kyrie took 1,199 motion steps, which is you know, 119.9 times per game. Yeah. That doesn't mean much to people. But what I thought was really interesting, and I didn't expect this, he took consecutive motion steps 524 times in 10 games, which is 52.4 times a game. He is taking a dribble, taking a step, taking another step before finding that perfect dribble step accuracy. So that tells me a lot about yeah. how he's able to flow into the game. So what are your thoughts when you, th- when you think of that? Like, how do you apply that to players? Well, I think a lot of times when I think about that perspective, I'm thinking about two things. Obviously, a lot of the times when we see multiple motion steps, it's going to be flowing out of a crossover or flowing out of like some sort of a push cross where I push, that inside step comes across, and then obviously if I'm going left or right, I would have left step, right step, and then that last or that next left step would be my dribble step. I would say the only time we Typically, I would say see it when somebody's not changing hands as if like, you know, they kind of do a turn push and it floats out there kind of like a crossover would. Um, but I think for me, when I look at that most of the time is like how often he's kind of using that to, you know, change direction. But also, I think he's doing it a lot of the times because it's allowing that ball to stay in his hand. So he can either continue to flow or if he wanted to break stride and do another change of direction, say load step push cross, he's got that ball in his hand. And obviously, like like we know, like if the ball is in my hand, my options kind of change versus if I'm dribbling that ball down, I've got to wait for it to come back up every single time. Um, that's why a lot of times out of crossovers, one of the biggest fixes we have to do with players is a lot of players will cross and they'll try to always take an immediate dribble step where like, that's still a skill that I need because if I cross something gets pinched, I need to punch it down. 
I've got to be able to. It could also slow you down. Yeah, but it can slow me down, and that's what a lot of players do. And, like, you know, maybe when they cross right to left, they have that, that motion step timing down. But when they cross left to right, for whatever reason, they're slapping the ball down. So there's a mix-up in how their skills are functioning. But I think that's one of the things when I think about that, and I was even going to do a workout this afternoon kind of focusing on that, is, like, a lot of players just kind of aren't comfortable. Like it reminds me of mat jumps. Like, you know, we talk about that comfort, you know, of just being in the air and being calm. Well, with a lot of players, it's that same thing. Like, are you comfortable and calm as that ball is just kind of float, flowing? Cause it's not always sprinting either. It's, you know, even if I'm jogging, if I cross and flow, that ball's going to sit there and spin. So for me, it's, it's the calmness of he's comfortable with letting that ball just flow. Um, and then just how often he's actually just changing a direction. And I think it also speaks volumes on how important the dribble step is at the same time because it's self-corrective. So a lot of times players don't have the ability to flow with the ball. That's when they end up dribbling off beat, off rhythm. So let's say I do cross over. I'm, I'm, it's going to be almost too uncomfortable for me to cross over and bat the ball down with that first dribble. So if a player is to cross over and then just feel like they need to put the ball down, they're probably going to be dribbling on their outside foot. But Kyrie has the ability to stay in sync so much to the point where sometimes he can take multiple motion steps just to make sure he stays in sync. Let's say he even does a stutter dribble. So he ends up dribbling on the outside foot and he feels like his rhythm's off. Then it would take some recovery to be able to take multiple motion steps to regain your dribble step timing again. So that those two flow so hand in hand of even if I'm a little off rhythm, I'm going to let myself flow with a couple steps so I can get myself back in rhythm. Because when players don't know how to control this or gauge their rhythms, then they just end up feeling like they're losing control. They don't feel like "Ah, I'm not comfortable to make decisions. That's when they start getting, you know, sped up. That's when they start feeling like they got to get the ball out of their hands or just come to a stop. But if you have good dribble step timing and you know how to flow with multiple motion steps, you never really can be shaken up because you always can recover your perfect timing. Now, just in case you're wondering, why is dribble step timing matter so much? Because we talked about him having a 98% rate. Like, what's causing that? Because I'm sure he's not thinking about the timing. No. We think about it because we need to teach players how to find flow like Kyrie. But So obviously the game and his effectiveness is causing him to have dribble step timing. So here's why dribble step timing matters so much. Dribble step timing is the ball hitting the floor before the inside foot hits the floor. So if I'm dribbling right and I was to go into a speed stop, left, right into my stop, the ball hitting first allows the ball to flow into my hands as I complete my stop. So now I'm in sync. I'm in time for that shot. If I need to change directions, the ball hitting first allows it to flow into my hands before my inside foot comes into contact with the floor. Now I can skip off that foot and change directions with like a split through. But if that ball's late, let's say my foot hits first, the ball hits second, because my body's already in motion, it's now my body's too far along to take the shot. My body's too far along to change mm-hmm. directions. So the reason why players like Kyrie find this natural brilliance of dribble step timing is because it is the footwork and timing that allows him to make decisions. That's how he's able to flow so well, what people would say instinctively, because his timing is so in order. So if a player doesn't feel like they can be instinctive, the first place we look is to see if their dribble step timing mm-hmm. is in order. And, and, and I think this, this goes for people who may watch this or may not watch this. Is I think this is where people get mixed up is because they look at something like dribble step timing and they want to go, oh, that's simple and natural. And as we know from experience of training people on this. Not natural. Not natural. And, and I think this is the, the, the problem that people run into is it kind of comes down to like you either have it or you don't or, oh, we just naturally got that when we played. 
like people honestly feel like they had the same skill set as Kyrie. Like, oh, we just got that natural. We're that skilled. And I think... Yeah, let's stop there for a second. <laughs> so, Because this one's driving me crazy. Yeah. So, and I literally had someone just post this on... I think it was a Kyrie clip where I was teaching something. No, it was uh, Anthony Edwards. Oh. So I was teaching something Anthony Edwards did that was very complex, very detailed footwork. And Was look, it the, like partial step in, partial? Yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. loop Little training. Yep. And they said, hey, we just got this instinctively playing the game. <laughs> we got, and and you're, you're telling me that everything Anthony Edwards possessed, you had? Like you just got it. Playing I, basketball. This, that, that was just instincts in my day. Listen, you don't have, you never had what Anthony Edwards has. You don't have, nor have you ever had, what Kyrie has. Stop saying we just got this by playing basketball. No, you didn't. You are not as skilled as those guys. And especially, you're not as skilled as Kyrie. Yeah. So do you think it's possible? That maybe there's some things that Kyrie has that you never got instinctively just by playing. That maybe if you just did some effort, you might be able to get. But I like, anyway. I like to call this uh, delusional confidence. Um, thinking that you are way better as a player than you were. Um, but but kind of like I was saying though, I think, I think that's the problem a lot of times is like people don't understand that a player can train for something. And yes, in the beginning, we may cause some overthinking that usually lasts for about 30 seconds to two minutes. But once you train it and you have it, you don't think about it. Like, And even it, if it was 20 minutes, you don't who think cares? about it. Like, and that's what people get so strung up on is like, you know, we deal with the shooting, ball handling, footwork. Like, yes, if I teach you something new that you don't know, it's going to cause a moment of you have to think. That's learning anything in the world. I don't care if it's math, science, social studies, whatever. There's going to be a moment when you learn something, you're going to be like, like you're going to feel lost for a second. But as soon as you find it, like we don't think, like if we were to go back out and play, I'm not running up and down the floor thinking about my dribble step timing. It's there. I've trained it. I know the feel of it. It's there. Same thing. Kyrie. And it's, and it's there because I've thought about it in the training environment. Yeah. And that's what people, they, there's, we have such a literal thinking society that, if I'm thinking about something in training, it also means I'm thinking about it when I play. Yeah. That is not the case. No. The whole thing of like, we got to get their minds out of it. Um, You're just trying to create mindless robots. They're yeah. blaming us for creating robots at times because we're detailed, but you're taking the mind out of it. Yeah. That is a robot at that point. The thing that makes us different than robots is we have a mind. Yeah. We can think. So in training... We can think and we can process and we can focus on it. And then when you play, because you're thinking about everything else, you're not going to. No. Now a player who's not very good might, but that they have to get better with their work. skills. It's my it's my new thing I like to say. You gotta train it until you trust it. And then that's when again you you just have it. Like you obtain it. You don't have to work on it again. Like it's yours. You are free to do with it what you will. Now, another one of these that I thought was really interesting, and it's at the top of the list. So the three, if you were to think about the three most, and you might not know all of our terms, but the three most used skills, obviously dribble step and motion step are like gimmies because if a player is walking the ball up the floor, running the ball up the floor, and they dribble a lot, those are going to be the two most common for anybody. But his third most common would be a release push cross. Mm -hmm. And that blew me away when I went when I got to the data of the report because I wouldn't have even had guessed that that was the number one crossover he used. Yeah. 
So there's basically four different ways you can cross over the ball. A crossover would be that low sweeping traditional crossover. A push cross would be the overhand across the body. A release push cross is more of a snap across the body like a V, which would, which would be the least protective of yeah. those three. And that was the most common that he used. And the four would be a sham god, which is reaching across your body to pull yeah. it back. And that one is obviously the most rare of the four, much more based off of more of a street type of move, but it does happen at this level. But I was crazy impressed about the yeah. release push cross, and that made me start thinking, you know, as a trainer, which crossover should I be teaching the more of, the most of? Yeah. Um, now, obviously, not everyone has a handle like Kyrie, but that doesn't necessarily matter. Mm-hmm. If I'm teaching the low crossover the most, and a player like Kyrie is using a release push cross 60 times per game, do I need to adjust what I'm teaching, the balance of what I'm teaching? Mm-hmm. And so here's what I like about the release push cross, the more that I, you know, after that I started doing a deep dive on it, is it's just more of a flow again. Mm-hmm. Everything that we're talking about so far is flow, the dribble step timing, the motion steps in between. A release push cross is the quickest way to get the ball from one side of the body to the other side of the body mm-hmm. and flow with it. So you talk about a player who's trying to be more seamless and just flow with the game. The release push cross just snaps the ball over the other side of the body and allows them to just completely change the dynamic whenever they want. And so you're not doing this necessarily when you're crowded. If you, if you had someone who's reaching, you do a low, a low cross. If you had to get over someone's hand, you'd probably do a, a push cross. But if I'm just flowing in the game, I don't want to do one of those two. I yeah. want to just snap it across the body. The reason why that matters is because the release push cross, a lot of coaches would probably say is wrong. They would try to get players not to do it because yeah. we need to dribble the ball below our knee. So you have the player, he uses the most, and most coaches would say it's a no-no. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think that just comes back to the idea and concept of like everybody still thinking of basketball way too much in like, I'm trying to think of the right way I want to put this, in basics. Yeah. Like, so when you think again, push crosses, the only two that I've ever been taught really is push cross, low cross. And again, when people want to get a little stylish, sometimes they'll go sham God. Um, but like, again, like, like that's the same thing that I was talking about earlier with like the motion steps of just how often he's changing direction, how often he's just switching hands. Cause that's really what it is. A lot of time he's dribbling up. He's just letting it go to the other side to switch hands off. So like he's constantly got people kind of having to adjust their stances. Like he's never allowing them to really settle in in front of him where he's he's always just either switching hands or his motion steps coming across or he's got some he's got you moving in some way even if it's just minor little adjustments. And just to put him in perspective, the push cross, he did 13 times a game, 132 times, and the low crossover 122 times for 12 times per game. So you have 13 times a game, 12 times a game, and then um what did I say? 60 times per game. Yeah, it's a lot. It, it dwarfs the other two. Yeah. So one of the things that we really need, if we were able to do this study, and this takes so much time, so eventually maybe we'll yeah. do it. But if we were to do it with a staff, if we were to do it with, with all the different ball handlers in the NBA, would we consistently see the release push cross being number one? I think so. Yeah. And so d- should that change how we teach balance to players? Should my workouts be the low cross and the push cross the most, or should I shift as a trainer and teach the yep. release push cross more? 
And so that's something that this type of study really helps us with. And we don't have a lot. We're going we're gonna to do more episodes in the yeah. Kai report because this allows us to really discuss details and techniques in a different way. It really allows us to, to separate one detail from another. The last one I think would be important just to simply mention here would be when we talk about lot, which would be the fifth most common, which would be an inside step. That one didn't surprise us at all. Yeah. The inside step is, in my opinion, the most important step a player can make. And not surprisingly, it was the most common step he took in this type of way. So the inside step is curving the inside foot and swinging it to the outside in a straight line past your defender, which would be a nice way to sum it up. Yep. And he did, in a span of 10 games, he did the inside step 253 times, which would be 25 times per game. Compared to a cross step, which he did 14 times a game. The reason why I think that's significant is because a cross step, I think, is once again what's taught the most. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's all coaches will teach. If my inside foot's going to beat a defender, it means my inside foot goes across my body, my body turns in that direction, and I'm driving at a diagonal. Well, I'll even I'll even say this, um, and I and I mean, growing up, I was never taught anything outside of a cross step. I remember when we even started, when did we start talking about inside steps? It definitely wasn't in the beginning. You no. Know, we're talking maybe uh, 2000, you know, 14 or 15. And like, 16, I remember maybe. when we started talking about that, like I could not get that concept out of my mind. Like that there was like, I was like, oh, no, there's just no difference between like inside step and cross step. I'm like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And then like the more I kept looking at it, like it's not, it's not the same thing. Like it's completely different in like, like I said, like the weirdest thing is just like even feeling like when I have kind of played over the last couple of years with like some of our NBA guys, like the difference in just knowing what that feel is like when I, you're attacking somebody that I'm keeping everything in line in front of me, but I'm just swinging that foot around their body. And if they push on me, they're going to push me right in my line where like cross steps is what's knocking people off their lines. Like players that get, even if they're undersized, if you're getting knocked off your line, you're probably cross stepping. And that's what's getting you. So now not only, you know, are you smaller in your defender, but because the technique you're using isn't giving you that advantage. But, like, like that's the thing that I've always enjoyed. I mean, because, like, some stuff is natural. It's like, like oh, like, I've got tossed this growing up. This is just what it is. But, like, the more you keep looking at the game, at these high-level players, there's a reason. Even the ones that aren't – because, like, I don't think Luke is as slow as people try to say he is. He's just probably not as quick as a Kyrie. But, like, he's able to beat somebody – Every single time because his technique is perfect. It's like uh like they, they talk about that with boxers sometimes. Like you have your your technicians out there. Like, you know, they're not the biggest, not the fastest, but like the timing's there, their technique is there, and like they just happen to just keep winning, even though they're not the bigger, better athlete. I think it's the same thing as basketball. Like your skilled players are technicians. Definitely. Like everything about them just moves so well. But I remember when we first started talking inside steps, like it took me a couple months to really realize the difference between like there is a heavy technical difference between what an inside step is and what a cross step is. And I remember we made a video a couple months ago where I was just explaining it. You know, for me, what made the most sense is attacking out of a jab because there's always jab, cross step, where it actually should be jab, inside step, so I can actually beat that guy with the jab that I just used. And I think that's the one that most trainers have the hardest time with still, is, yeah. is they do not like difference. to say that a cross step and an inside step are two separate things. But the way that we kind of show people, when they travel into training university, trainers never leave saying, you know what, inside steps and cross steps are the same. No. It's undefeated. You come to training university, you will be changing how you view yep. this stuff. 
But it kind of goes down to if it feels different to get the result, the technique must be different. An inside step feels way different than a cross step. It's just two different jobs. A cross step is to get to a spot. So that's typically when you would use it. Your inside foot crosses over your body. Your hips and your shoulders go in that same line. So like picture if I'm at the top of the key and I'm going to go straight to the elbow, I'd use a cross step to get there, possibly. Mm -hmm. An inside step is trying to get to the outside of the defender, getting more of the, the, you know, the prototypical straight line, even though it's a tight curve, to the basket. So you're swinging that inside foot around, but your body and your shoulders are staying in the, in the line you're trying to drive. Those are two very, very different actions. And most players only really know the cross step. And if they haven't intuitively self-organized yeah. their way to having inside step, they're stuck off of what their coaches have mm -hmm. taught them. They only know how to cross step, cross step, cross step. So I know we've talked about it on this show before, but an inside step, when you can give it to a player and they, you will change completely it's, their game. The way you move is just, it's just different. So, and Kyrie uses it 25 times per game and a yeah. cross-step 14 times per game. So, when I look at this, I look at, okay, 14 of those times, Kyrie's probably trying to get to a spot. Yeah. 25 times, Kyrie's getting to the basket or he's getting, you know, those That's a really lines. good way to look at it, getting to a spot. And so, now you have the ability to do both very, very well. Mm -hmm. If you don't categorize those and separate them and you're just randomly stepping places and you're trying to go to a spot but you're using an inside step and you're mm -hmm. trying to go to the basket but you're using a cross step your body's going to be all out of whack you're not going to have results that's why these techniques matter so you're not thinking about necessarily but if you train your ability to do them you're going to have the ability to move in two different movement solutions mm -hmm. and that's what when people talk about movement solutions a lot movement solutions here's here's our definition of them every movement solution is a technique Mm -hmm. You give a player a bunch of techniques, and guess what? They, they have, have a bunch of movement solutions. solutions. Now, there's ranges. You can do an inside step and a range, depending on how your foot hits. You're never going to be able to do it exactly the same way, mm -hmm. but it's identifiably an inside step. Yep. All right. Well, that's enough for this Kyrie Port um, study. We're going to do this more because literally there's... There's so much here. 176 skills and techniques that he used. And so one of the times we're definitely going to go over what he did not do a lot yep. um, and compare that to what's commonly taught. But thanks for joining us on another episode of Dream Loudly.